are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the UK. I'm Mike Sullivan, I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Welcome to the second instalment of the Evolution Exchange UK podcast. Today I'm joined by a great panel to discuss creating high performance teams. It's a pleasure to be on such an extraordinary panel. I'm sure it'll be an interesting one today with some of the some of the guys involved, having spoken to over the last couple of weeks. And I know it's um, a very important topic with regard to yourselves and your dev teams. Um, before I start, I'd like to um, before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room, um, work with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and what you're passionate about. And let's start with you, Chuck. Thanks very much. Uh, I'm Chuck Hardy, the head of engineering for a new startup called Salesroom, where we're building a very cool virtual meeting platform specifically designed for sales. I'm super excited to show the world, but we're in closed beta at the moment. We're a company of 10, seven of which are engineering. So it's a very engineering focused kind of company. Uh, I started my career in the British Army Air Corps where I served eight years traveling the world, including two combat tours of Iraq. And this is important for the next part, which is after leaving the army, my first software engineering gig was with Paul Ingham, who's on this panel (laughs) today. And I was very fortunate to sit next to him for three and a half years as he mentored and guided me through my early uh, early career. And I'm so fortunate to be where I am today because of people like Paul who, who gave up their time and energy to help me grow. As far as passions, yeah, I love building things, you name it, I'll try and build it, I'll fail, but I'll try. And uh, I love the environment, my wife does too, and we, we care deeply about animals too. So a lot of our energy goes there and I'm really excited to be here with Paul, Luca and Will and, and just learn and, and grow together. Thanks. Brilliant. Uh, and yourself, Luca? Yes, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Luca Carangella. Um, I am an engineering manager at Captify, uh, which is a company based in London um, as a, is a leading search intelligence platform um, for, the, for the open web and the largest independent holder of first party search data outside of Google. Um, I'm currently working with a team called Sense which is also the name of our self-service platform, which gives advertiser direct access to deeper consumer understanding through fresh search power insights and audiences. Um, I am personally passion, passionate about coding. I do that also in my free time, um, very boring, you know. Uh, but um, yeah, apart from that, I am also a fan of Inter Milan. Uh, sometimes it's more pain than love, but this is life, I guess. Great stuff, Thank Luca. You. I can share your pain as a Manchester United fan at the moment. I, I can assure you <laughs> of that. Uh, and yourself, Paul? Hey, everyone. Um, I'm Paul Lingham. I'm a head of, a, head of engineering at Holiday Extras, who uh, predominantly sell travel extras. Um, so, for example, if you are looking to go to Italy, for example, you may want to book yourself into uh, an airport car park to, to drop your car off and maybe get a transfer on the other side. We provide all the ancillaries and, and sell those on to, to consumers. Uh, we are fundamentally trying to change the way that people look at holidays. So it's an exciting time, especially as travel starts to reboot. And I'm really struggling in this introduction because, you know, Chuck set off with an absolute flyer and absolutely prepared and threw me under the bus. So. For those who really want to know what my job is, I'm Chuck Hardy's most glamorous assistant. Um, I'm the one who generally fuels him with coffee and uh, and food um, to keep him going through his daily daily workload. And uh, we're very fortunate to be on this call with Luca and, and Will to share our experiences and get to know more about how everyone else feels about high-performing teams. Um, on a personal note, I'm a type 1 diabetic, so I spend a lot of time hacking my closed-loop insulin pump and getting my diabetes up to as high a percentage as I possibly can. I'm not into football. Uh, I'm not into rugby. I just like to sit at home and troll the kids on Fortnite. So we've got a 12, 12-year-old and a seven-year-old, and you know, I like to watch them game and hang out with uh, my my Mrs. Amy. So there you go. Fantastic. Definitely feeling the love at the moment between you two. <laughs> and fine, last but, last but not least, Will. 
Yeah, sure thing. So hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Will. I'm an engineering manager here at Formidable based in London. Uh, the company's not based in London. Formidable's a remote first consultancy. We kind of went remote first um, last year, uh, although we'd been kind of remote working for quite a number of years before that. So it was a pretty straightforward transition, really. Um, where, yeah, like I said, consultancy sort of building the modern web. We've worked with some really exciting clients and kind of helped them build their help them, you know, build and achieve their digital aspirations. Um, we're also huge fans of open source um, and we've got some really awesome open source uh, pieces of software. So do check that out under the Formidable Labs GitHub. A um, bit about me, I've been building websites in various forms, probably like the past 12, 12 13 years now. Um, transitioned from like primarily an IC role into more leadership management over the past few years. Um, I've loved kind of solving programmatical problems throughout my career. So it's really awesome now to kind of focus more on sort of solving people problems um, and sort of team problems, communication problems. Uh, and it's just a different way of thinking, which I find really exciting. Uh, when I'm not sitting down staring at a computer screen, I'm a big fan of uh, running, cycling and cooking. And yeah, really excited to be here as well. Well, well. Obviously, really excited to um, be part of this panel today. Um, you know, some of the guys that, that are taking part, and you know, I'm, I'm excited to see some of the questions and answers that we're about to to ask. So, shall we start with your question, Chuck? Sure, going first, love it. Um, so, the question that I asked for the group was, "What do you look for when interviewing for a candidate who is joining an existing high performance team?" It's really all about the interviewing. Perfect. And do you want to start this one, Luca? Yeah. Um, so first of all, hiring is very hard regardless. So that's extremely hard. Um, so in this case, I guess uh, it depends if you are hiring to replace someone who's leaving or if you are hiring to add to the current team, I suppose. Uh, in the former case, I would probably try to match this person's technical skills first uh, if you want to kind of keep to try to keep the same level of experience and expertise in the team. Um, I guess this is very contextual anyway, so it really depends. Then there is definitely the cultural part, which is very important as well, because you don't want to disrupt the way your team works and risk hiring the wrong person, even though she or he can be very strong technically, right? Um, the way you want to do this is basically uh, making sure that this person shares or at least agrees and understands how your team works and why you are doing the things you are doing, which can be very different from the way that maybe this person is used to, or you, et cetera. Um, and what I would do is I would start asking a simple question, which is what a performance team is according to you. Uh, and then you need to give your version and ask the candidate to comment on possible differences uh, because you might have the gaps. Um, I would also ask the candidate to tell me a time when he or she thought was working in a high performance team and follow up question how they dealt with the problems or communication styles or different cross-functional problem because this can also be an opportunity for you to learn something new. Um, and obviously, when you talk about uh, culture, you must talk about organizational values, I suppose. Here at Captify, we have four simple but very effective ones. Um, they are like to give a share, fail faster, succeed faster, build this together, and unlimited potential. Very simple but very effective. And we value so much them, and we really live up to them. Um, and because they are so important, you want to try to make sure that the candidate understands and share them with you. Um, what I'm looking for in the answer is very sim is a very similar level of care and passion for this job that we have in my team, for example. Uh, I'm not necessarily looking for people who know how to do their job, but people who care so much about it that they are happy to accept, to not accept okay as a standard, but they want to improve everything and they challenge everything as much as possible. Well, and over to you, Paul. So um, I'm going to go very cliche, and I think Chuck already knows my answer to this one, but the one thing that I look for regardless is passion. Um, so if, if somebody isn't where they should be technically, 
that's that's irrelevant to me, um, especially when it comes to the high performing team. What I want is passion. And I'm actually going to go back to the days where, where I remember interviewing Chuck. Uh, and that was one of Chuck's founding principles. He was very, very passionate, but very humble. Uh, he knew where his learnings were. He knew what he wanted to become. And he cared so much about doing and achieving what he wanted to achieve. Now, plonk that into the middle of a high performing team. You learn all the other avenues because you've got that team structure at that performing stage. But also, you know, when you've got somebody so passionate and you stick them into a team of high performers, they bring so many new ideas that those high performers haven't even thought about. My my mantra is if if I'm the smartest person in the in the room, I'm in the wrong room. So I expect that of a high performing team. They should be able to accept any newcomer into that team and learn from them and learn new approaches to enable that team to continuously stay above and beyond performing and outperforming other teams. Um, so that is my only recruitment uh, requirement, passion. And, and the reason is, is it brings so much to build and get towards what high performing is for me. Fantastic. And, and yourself, Will? Yeah, I'm mean, both some really good answers. That kind of passion is is um, key. I'd I'd echo what Lucas said about you know spending a few short hours to try and understand if a person is going to fit into this team. Let's say a high performing team over hundreds or thousands of hours is impossible. You know, it's a best guess at, at the best of times. Um, I think some of the main things I look for is, again, you know, less heavily focused on the technical side. Obviously, you know, uh, engineers need to write code, so that's often a prerequisite. But in terms of the variance between, like, someone who's super, super advanced in one particular technology or someone who's maybe uh, more advanced in a different technology but is kind of just getting started on that one, I think that kind of that passion is, is far, far more important in my experience. Um, we're problem solvers first and foremost. I know that sounds super cheesy, but it's it's really true. I think at the end of the day, we so make solutions to problems and we're often not writing like the code we want to write. We're having to write the code to fix a problem or to, you know, do something that needs doing. It's not like it's, you're never doing something in a vacuum. Um, so I think that's important to remember. Uh, I think, you know, if someone's had a good range of experience, whether that's variety of situations, solving a variety of problems. Um, I think that's far more important, you know, than a specific expertise in one language or technology. Not that that's helpful, <laughs> um, of course. And then uh, just to kind of add on to that, I'd say if, if someone has the right work ethic and drive, they will be able to learn a new pace technology. Um, Software development landscape is changing so quickly. You know, I'm I'm more in the JavaScript ecosystem, and things change on a daily or hourly basis. Um, you know, people are going to have to learn and continue learning throughout their careers. So I don't wouldn't say that should always be a prerequisite. Um, I think the last big one for me is um, kind of collaboration and emphasis on communication. Um, I think the two are kind of intrinsically linked, but if someone's able to convey that they have like a deep understanding of how important communication is, and I know people say like, oh, you got to communicate, let's let's set up more meetings, but often more meetings isn't the best solution. And how can you actually do communication that's useful and value, valuable communication? So if someone can really indicate that they understand that at a deep level, um, that's, that's big bonus points for me. Um, and then, yeah, I guess just one last point is kind of someone who thrives on autonomy. I really like to see, you know, at Formidable, I think we give people the autonomy to kind of work in a way that suits them. And and kind of off the back of that, in my experience, at least, um, engineers work the best when they are working in a way that suits them, you know, that when they're motivated and doing what they want to do. That's when kind of the best code and, and products are produced. So, yeah. There's some great answers in there. And, and how about you, Chuck? What do you look for when interviewing candidates in a high performance team? I know, but I just learned a lot. I hope everyone listening did too and appreciate the love, Paul. But there's a lot of great <laughs> content in there. I think it goes without saying two things at the start. One is 
uh, it depends on the stage of the company for sure. And then two is I am so bad at hiring. It is such a difficult art to get right. And I don't have the answers. And, but here's what I found seems to work for me when it does work out. So first of all, and I stole this totally from my second favorite CEO in the world, uh, Microsoft Satya Nadella. My first favorite, by the way, is my current CEO. And uh, which is, nice. I love it. He's going to love that too. Well, do they add clarity? Yeah. Do they add clarity and bring energy? And that's, those are the most important things for me. If you walk into a room, are they the type of people that uplift the energy? I know they're the type of people that help the needle move closer towards clarity. And if you have those two things, the rest sort of come with it. But the third thing I look for is a sense of urgency. I want someone that is able to be pragmatic, you know, has a sense of drive, focuses on iterating, learning, and adapting, very much the scientific method. Uh, fourth, which is very important to me, is curiosity. I want to see what type of questions they ask, whether they're thoughtful questions, whether they're clarifying things they don't understand. And I want to see, make sure that they're aiming to understand and empathize before they jump into solutions. And that one's key. Uh, lastly is coachability. If they have a great uh, growth mindset, if I want to see how they think about failure and want to make sure that they think it's okay and know that it's okay and that they have a willingness to learn, plus everything else you all said in this call. Brilliant. Um, so, yeah, great questions. Some, some really good answers there. Um, and over to you, Luca, with your question. Yeah, so my question is, a common definition of high-performing engineering teams is that these teams have a clear definition of purpose and performance. What does performance mean to you, your team, and your organization? Are these all aligned, or do we need to calibrate? Starting with you, Paul. That is a truly phenomenal question because it is such a difficult one to answer. and. Um, I'm going to try my best, Luca, but I don't think I'm going to do it justice, if I'm being honest with you, because, you know, it's something that I'm still fighting about inside my own head as to how to answer it. Um, so purpose, you mentioned that's that's essential, right? You want to know what the mission is, why we're working towards something. and But then what is performance? Well, I measure it based on two things. Number one, the value that's being generated. So I'm not a fan of outputs, I'm a fan of outcomes. And um, again, that's a common factor in, in, in high performing teams. You know, I don't give a flying poo how many tickets you're getting through in a, in a sprint. What I care about is how you move in a metric. Um, so for example, if you want to boost your revenue by 5% over a quarter in, in OKR world, then you know I want to see that every release you're doing is bumping that up. And if it's not bumping that up, why isn't it bumping that up and that's that's what i measure performance on the learnings that you take from the metrics that you put in place so how many releases you're putting out how many you're rolling back what's your team health checks look like how your squad health checks look like what are you learning as a team and changing on a weekly basis that for me is performance of a high performing team because you are learning you are failing but you're, you're then telling a story and communicating that, managing upwards to the rest of the business, sideways to your team. you know, And that that's, for me, what true performance is. It's the ability to spot problems, talk about problems, be humble about problems, but change and try new things to improve your performance and change the metrics that a team generally rely on. Now, a little bit of me, like I say, is fighting to answer that question because, you know, is that is that true performance? Well, some businesses see that as, you know especially if, if if it's more of a feature factory style business well have you shipped the five million features we've asked for over over the quarter to which the answer is no so does that make a team high performance yes and no it does because as long as you've got those checks in place and you're monitoring yourselves at that more localized leadership level to influence change and, and, and change the way of the business that again is another measurement of, of, of a high performing team so I think I've given you a bit of a wishy-washy wishy answer, but for me, that performance aspect is, and I will always uh, class a team as successful, if they can talk about their failings, learn from them, and implement change to excel and exceed themselves in what they are delivering and the value that comes on the back of that. Um, I hope I gave that some justice, Luca. It's a really difficult question, and um, like I say, you've done a great job of, of, of asking it because it's the one that I've really stumbled upon. Well, let's see if Will can help you with the fight in your head on that one, Paul. 
I don't think I've got uh, all the answers slash any of the answers, but I have a couple of thoughts. Um, I think, you know, like Paul said, it's a really difficult question to answer and there's so many different facets to be considered and so many different ways in which a team can be high, high performing. Um, I've come at this slightly more from an engineering perspective, I guess, but for me, uh, first and foremost, for a team to be high performing, they need to write good code um you know and the code has to do what it should do like for that's that's just the key metric like as a team are we getting the result that needs to happen and you know writing writing the code that needs to get there um i know you mentioned sort of the purpose side of things and in my experience um and with the engineers you know that i work with people find their purpose or engineers find their purpose by writing good code it continues to amaze me how how dedicated engineers can be to write on you know to work on the smallest ticket in the world and spend many weeks on it because they want to get it absolutely perfect so if you can, can create an environment uh to give engineers that purpose and allow them to kind of flourish in in being able to write good code that also does what it needs to do and like solves a business requirement i think that's amazing um, and i think quite different to other industries as well um you know often people and just want to get stuff shipped as possible and don't get me wrong like uh businesses want to get stuff shipped as quick as possible but engineers really love their craft um most dedicated engineers do at least in my in my experience um, and I think so many kind of technical problems that I've encountered can actually be solved in a far simpler way um, if kind of we take stock and, and value, you know, communication throughout. So performance doesn't have to be complex, I guess is what I'm getting at there. Um, performance can be a simple problem that solves what it needs to do in the quickest way possible and in the simplest way possible. Um, you talked about how that kind of performance goes or you know translates across both the team and the organization more widely i think that you know as a project gets bigger often the speed of individual tickets becomes less and less important although still important than kind of the cross collaboration and making sure that the teams within our organization are working in unison uh, to be able to hopefully achieve somewhat of a shared goal and balancing being able to work in unison while also giving teams like the autonomy to be able to do what they need to do and to be able to enact change um, at their own accord without having to get approval is really, really important, I think. Um, you know, I don't think they're ever perfectly aligned between between sort of me, my team and an organisation. Um, but I think, you know, if you manage to get them aligned or trying to get them aligned is how you can go from, let's say, a high performing team to a high performing organization. Um, if you manage to kind of get everything in a row um, and I guess based off that organizations have this huge thing about a purpose and organizations will often try and convey that purpose to their engineers. But if it's something that you can build within, I think that's even uh, even even better, really. So, you know, just giving a teams teams a space in which they have the ability to make changes um, and own their own process. Uh, and yeah, just to finish off, I guess it's important to note that while we're never going to be perfectly aligned and never going to perfectly be calibrated, the teams themselves know what they're working on better than anyone else in the company, better than leadership. So they know how to be high performing. You just kind of got to got to give them the tools tools to do so. Perfect, thanks Will. Uh, and what are your thoughts on this one, Chuck? Uh, copy paste what Paul and Will said, I think spot on for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, great answers, goodness, I feel blown away. Eco, it's probably no mistake, but I definitely lie in the same camp that Paul is in for sure. I think, um, I mean, I've just done it. We've built a team you know, in the last eight months from from zero. Uh, all the way up, and and I definitely questioned what is what does this new thing look like to me, and I know what it's not. And so when I set out to create it, I know I needed to focus all of my energy on creating an environment where people can thrive. And we'll talk more about methods and, and metrics in a minute. And Paul sort of nailed on the things that matter, which is it's almost 
it's about constantly improving together as one, like a group that works together, always focuses on improving, never takes themselves too seriously, always focus on the most important thing next. Um, and it does matter which type of company you're in. So for example, a startup which lives and dies on its ability to get to market and find product market fit as fast as possible, a strong sense of urgency is a must. And we, for our teams to be performing, you, every single person has to have that and be able to drive it. Um, we're very outcomes focused here at Salesroom as well. And we don't necessarily measure them with OKRs and things like that. I think we're moving way too quick for that to be a thing. But what we do sort of look for is, are the things that we're doing at any given time the most important? Is everyone in the team proud of it, even if it's a small change? And does it solve actual customer problems? And the rest sort of just fits. Um, you know, sometimes we don't write any tests. We just get it out and see what happens. Sometimes we spend a lot of energy writing tests. There's just so many different ways that we do it based on each scenario. But definitely for me, work together, focus on outcomes, move fast and be proud of the work you do and make sure you solve problems, actual problems. Plus one to Luca, hard question. I read through the list and I was like, oh no, yeah, that's a just, tough one. Just a bit, but great answers from everyone. A lot of, a lot of detailed answers there. Um, and how about you, Luca? How do you define performance in, with yourself, your team and organization as a whole? Yeah, first of all, great answers. Thank you very much. Um, I would say I copy and paste what Paul said as well. So <laughs> very, very, very similar. Um, but I, I just wanted to uh, to touch what Will said about you know how much developers like their craft, etc. This is absolutely true. Uh, I'm an engineering manager, but I'm first of all I'm a software developer, so I definitely do understand that. Uh, but unfortunately, there is also uh, an aspect where developers tend to rework so much what they do, which is not necessarily a good thing, right? So you always want to find the right balance. And for example, as a as a, an engineering manager, you want to make sure that you keep an eye on what your developers are doing all the time. And you make sure that these people are not re constantly reworking what they're doing because perfection is great, but you also need to ship stuff and you want to have a fit, you want them to, to be okay with not being perfect because you know that your team is so good at reviewing code or shipping stuff that is not necessarily perfect, but you have the metrics in place, you have the monitoring to understand that, oh, actually this can be done in a better way, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we, we have introduced some more engineering team metrics where we, where we can see, for example, how many P PR we, uh, the team opens, how long does it take for a PR to get reviewed, um, how much, <clears throat> uh, what's the percentage of the, the, the rework the team work on, on the new work, et cetera, et cetera. These are very good metrics that can allow us to understand how the team is working and how we can improve. Um, and then, yeah, everything else that you guys said is absolutely spot on for me, yeah. Perfect. I believe we've got a question from you, Paul. Uh, yeah, so... Obviously, Chuck's question was focused on what do we look for when when hiring for high-performing teams. Lucas was Lucas was about you know the purpose and and how we measure on performance and what that means to us. So mine is, and I often find this really difficult to come across when I'm when I'm looking for the answer myself. So, what's important to us? What things do we put in place to enable a team to become high-performing? What are the important essentials that have helped you guys define? Um, and implement high-performing teams into your businesses or previous businesses you've worked for. Great stuff. So do you want to kick this one off, Will? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, you know, it's it's a bit of a dark art, really. Um, and I think different teams have different ways of getting to the same destination. You know, um, different teams' structure and their communication and all that sort of stuff is going to change massively um, from organization to organization and from team to team. And I don't think there's like a wrong or right. You just got to find what works for, for the people within that team and what helps them get the results they're looking for. I think linking back to one of the things I harped on about earlier is kind of that communication piece. And to me, just ever, you know, increasingly so, that communication is so, so vital uh, to building 
you know, great software and for, for team to become high performing. You know, on my project at the moment, we've, you know, grown massively really quickly as a team. And that's obviously come with its own challenges. Um, but it's also come with a lot, a lot of learnings. And I'd say so many of those learnings are all kind of communication based or could have been vastly improved by just having that communication set up the right way from the start and uh, as early on in the process, you know, get feedback early on about everything. Um, sometimes, you know, it's not even worth writing a line of code until you've kind of got a few opinions. Like, is this how we want to do things? Are we progressing in the right, right way, both as a, as a solution to this problem, as a team and an organization? Like, you just want to keep that feedback loop, you know, as free, going as frequently as possible. Um, and then just on that as well, kind of, on the communication piece, being happy to share and related to that, you know, no blame culture, um, slightly off piece, but, you know, being open to being vulnerable, admitting when you're wrong, no ego, you know, um, sometimes if there's a lot of people like in a Slack channel or something, people think there's a really high bar barrier to entry and uh, you need to break down those barriers. You know, if people can share what's, whatever's on their mind, even if it's the smallest question, questions ever you know it's just going to help them and and by proxy the the wider team become really high performing um so if you can keep that motivation up that's awesome uh another point i wanted to kind of touch on is superheroes and superhero mentality i think um often you know everyone's got that rock star in the team who does all of the work and hits all of the deadlines but that, especially as a team grows more mature and a product grows more mature, that can become far more detrimental than it can beneficial. Um, project, projects and products get too large for one person to ever retain context of everything happening in that project or product. So um, you need to share that knowledge. And, you know, there's the whole thing. If that person got hit by a bus, what do you do? Um, and yeah. I guess last couple of points from me first is that uh, on a more technical side of things, having like a really solid CI pipeline is invaluable. You know, being able to throw out PRs where you change lots of different parts of the code base and see lots of green ticks and having confidence that those green ticks mean that the code you've written is is like safe to go in at least is amazing. And, you know, just like I say, invaluable from a performance and high high you know kind of velocity perspective um and then finally it's okay to have bad days you know even within a high performing team and um in a high performing organization not everyone is going to be 100 percent all of the time and i think going easy on yourself and going easy on your team when you're not 100 percent will help you come back stronger the next day and help you you know deliver a project or product better over the long term Great, thanks, Will. And over to you, Chuck. Great answer, uh, Will and Paul. I think communication is key in so many things in life, isn't it? Communication is the the one thing that when it breaks down or starts to lose its traction, that's when problems creep through. So as far as methods and techniques that I find important, it really it changes quite a bit. But at its macro level, uh, all of my energy is focused on improving the environment so that other people can excel and have the comfort and ability to to sort of do their natural best and i like the saying um you know don't ask a fish to climb a tree and, and i keep thinking about that all the time when when i do things as far as myself i definitely try and lead by example where i can and that means being super authentic and honest to myself is one of the reasons I joined this company actually is it gives me the ability to just be exactly who I am without having to put up a facade or play politics or anything like that. I am who I am every day and every minute. And um, I think it's even more important to do it when it's hard, you know, when you make a mistake, when you're just having an off day, when you stop feeling yourself, when you make you know, a silly assumption about something, just being really honest about things will make others do the same. I look for every way to find the one thing that'll give me the 10 things. And we'll mention CI as an example of just being able to give you that confidence to push out. But whenever I'm faced with a problem on the team, I always ask myself, what, what is the thing that I could do that fixes 10 things and rather than just this one thing? And it helps me be less reactionary 
to fixing the environment and far more thought out. I push myself really hard to trust people. Even if I have a different opinion or I disagree, a lot of the time I'll just hold back and see what happens because it doesn't help for me to just constantly share my thoughts and opinions. And in fact, uh, Nelson Mandela's father shared with him two facts or two thoughts of life, one of which was be the last to speak. And I always remember that Nelson Mandela, love the guy by the way, met him. But um, I always remember that and constantly in calls when I feel like I have the answer or I feel like I know what's going on or I feel like we're going in the wrong direction. I don't necessarily always jump out and say it. I just let the team go through it themselves and learn. Uh, and then we learn together. Uh, I'm all about expectations, which we'll mention too about communications. I see most things that go wrong in a team, just uh, communication and expectations have not been aligned or been met. And more importantly, they need to be reasonable and logical and challenged openly. I think that's a key thing we have here at sales room is everyone challenges everyone. And it's great to see when the CEO wants something, it's gonna get challenged pretty quick. Uh, and that's, that creates a healthy environment. Um, I think it's very important as well in this world when we read books and we watch tutorials online, that don't just implement process because somebody else has it. Uh, just let process find its own way in. Don't, don't prescribe it. And it'll naturally fit because it's the right tool for the job to help teams move faster and be better and help the environment be more productive. Um, and my favorite is embracing, if not celebrating failure. I think when you do that, you automatically challenge people to do what they think is right, even if it can be wrong. And you challenge people to move fast. And I don't necessarily like the move fast and break things concept from my meta mates, but uh, I definitely think that your ability to celebrate failure will allow people to embrace anything that they see in front of them. Good question. Good stuff, Chuck. You gotta let us know where, where did you meet uh, Nelson Mandela? Oh, inside, I'm South African, if anyone hasn't noticed. Uh, I grew up there and I uh, I moved over to the UK when I was 15 or 16, joined the British Army, and uh, the rest is history. And then fell in love with Paul Ingham, who's on the call. That happened somewhere. <laughs> uh, over to you there, Luca. Yes, great answers again. Um, so I guess for me, um, I personally found that being able to own and understand as much as possible the product or the service uh, is essential for performance teams. In this case, I mean like the full, you know, uh, the full cycle. Um, owning in this case for me means being able to follow the principle that I love, I really love personally, be, you build it, you run it. Um, so this is also goes to like kind of Will's point of, you know, the CICD pipeline, how important, let's say DevOps in general is, and you have still situation organization where teams don't have full control of the of their operational side. Um, so giving developers operational responsibility can, in my opinion, enhance drastically the quality of the service uh, or the product, both from a customer and technology perspective. Um, this is opposed to, yeah, like I said earlier, the more traditional way of giving the software you have built to someone else, like, you know, another DevOps team in, I don't know, in another, even another region sometimes I've seen it. Um, um, unfortunately, I don't think this is the best way um, of doing it. Um, yeah, because especially because you don't have, your team doesn't have the fast feedback loop that it needs to leverage the improvement um, they don't understand fully how things are working. So how can they improve something if they, they don't know and they don't own it? Um, connected to the previous point, uh, there is the understanding point that I mentioned. This can be done by, again, collecting metrics uh, that should be like, you know, full stack metrics from a product point of view, but also engineering point of view. Um, here at Captify, we, we, we have a very nice product. I don't know if I can say the name, but it's basically a product that allows us to, to watch uh, user sessions. And in this way, we can see how the users are using our product. And we share this with the team. Okay, it's not just the product team 
going and, and watching that. The entire engineering team can have access to this and they can understand, you know, if there are problems. And we can use obviously this for debugging reasons, et cetera, et cetera. So that is extremely useful for us. And then obviously met, uh, collecting metrics from any point of view, like for example, for performance, so front end, back end, latency, we have uh, users in different regions. So we want to make sure that the latency in different regions is, is acceptable, the performance acceptable, et cetera, et cetera. But this is our responsibility to put metrics in place, to monitor those metrics and making sure that we get better in doing this stuff. Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, definitely uh, more team engineering metrics uh, that can give you like a great indication of how the team is working. Um, and then it can help you, to, you know, to answer some, some questions, like I mentioned earlier, how long does it take for a PR to be reviewed? Do I need to do something there to make, to make sure that uh, the engineers get re the P PR reviewed, et cetera? Or do I need to change a process? To, how can I make it better? Um, and, and all this, so um, interesting, uh, these sort of stuff, some stuff they are somehow, can have a different impact to each other. Uh, so, for example, um, I, I was I read like recently um, a GitHub uh, post where they were they noticed that um, detailed code reviews can have a negative impact on software delivery performance. Uh, so, as a teams, you really need to make sure that you you are careful in what you are doing because something that seems obvious or you know actually can have a negative effect in something else. So you always want to, to review this and you know find the right balance for you. Thanks, Luca. Another great answer. And and how about you, Paul? What methods and techniques do you apply to enabling high performance? I'm just gonna call you out on this one, uh, Michael, and say, bloody hell, you got a great panel. Um, <laughs> I mean, these three are geniuses. I've, I feel like I'm I'm learning a whole new ton of stuff here because you've got an exceptional panel on this one. So thank you. Uh, yeah, really. I really appreciate the answers. Um, so I, 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 Will's kind of alluded to it, Chuck's alluded to other parts of it. I like to kind of instill a bit of a framework. Um, there seems to be a common misconception that a head of engineering is just there for technical accountability. And that is, excuse the language, absolute bullshit. That's just a part of the role. Feel free to filter that one out, um, Michael. Apologies. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I um, but for me, like as a head of engineering, I'm not just there for technical decision making accountability. You know, I don't like to make those decisions myself. I like to make them bottom up. Um, but it's about defining that culture of enablement. It's ensuring that our engineering function is delivering value, fail hard, try new things, learn, be humble educate others around you, enable continuous improvement. And that is exactly what a good head of engineering should be. I'm not saying I'm a good head of engineering, but it's something that I think a good head of engineering should be doing because it sets that foundation for bottom-up leadership. Um, Will, you touched on the, on the right framework. For me, that right framework is, is all based around the environment. And if you've got a top-down culture who is told what to do and and, and the reason they've got to do it for me that's not collaborative it's not empowering it's just a feature farm or a, a bug squatting yard you know i don't know what the term is for a bug bashing factory but you know i've just made one up um so you've got to you've got to have the right culture i'm not a fan of software craftsmanship or craftspersonship as a term for me software engineers are artisans they develop and teach their artisanship nature to other people and they instill that collaboration but not based on we can do this work to deliver this output. It's we can do this work as a truly great team or pair to work towards an outcome. So that bottom-up culture is really important to me. I always ask the business, what is the problem we are trying to solve? Tell us what the problem is. The experts will discover what the solution is in collaboration with relevant stakeholders who can all challenge those opinions and, 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 and feces. Um, I generally like to cut, and this is touching into your question, which is is following up well. So, you know, where we, um, I generally try to convert a business strategy into objectives and key results. But I, the reason I do that is it enables me to put into the team and challenge the team to work as a team. So those objectives and key results should be so stretched that 
it's like count, it's like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro twice in a day. You're never going to do it. It's not impossible. But the team come together to ensure that that, that one or two people who could struggle are helping each other get their left foot in front of the right foot and move up towards those metrics that we're trying to change. Um, one of the things I'm working on at the minute is an engineering strategy, um, again, to instill bottom-up leadership. You know, how can I get groups of people owning architecture? How can I get that architecture to correspond to what the business objectives are? Well, one of those one of those solutions is to have an architecture guild who have full accountability for defining what the architecture looks like. They bring new learnings into that group, they challenge each other, but they're a sign-off process for what that architecture looks like as a group. Not me saying we are going to build it in this particular way. It's because let's face it, I mean, Chuck will confirm this. My code was never the greatest. Um, yeah, I want other people to solve the problem and I will defend that problem, uh, that solution to that problem and be accountable for if it goes wrong. Not if it goes right, if it goes right, team get all the praise. But if it goes wrong, that's on my head because I've enabled the team to be the experts and present their opinion. And that is so important. It removes all the, toxic all the toxicity. You set an ambitious, ambitious challenge, get the team to function as a team. And that's where your high performing nature comes from because you end up with a team that wraps its arms around each other to enable things to move in a quicker manner. Um, there's no such thing as perfect. We know that. And any business that wants perfect code writers, you're going to be disappointed they don't exist. Because, you know, you should be keeping an eye on technical debt, but you should be not afraid to fail hard and fail fast. You should be putting stuff out, like Chuck said. Sometimes you can put something out there that you've just prototyped, get some quick feedback on it from a customer and trash it or rebuild it once you know it's actually going to deliver value in the long run. You're not going to get perfect code. You're not going to get a perfect team, but that continuous improvement that your leaders should be implementing into your departments is so important. Um, Will, I think you mentioned humbleness as well. I'll, I'll be honest, the tech leads are all the extras. We've just redefined the job role. Humbleness is part of the competencies. You, as a, a tech lead, should be able to talk about your mess-ups, your failures, to just prove the point to your more junior colleagues or even your peers you're not perfect, you will fail. I mean, I caused some absolute calamities when I was working with Chucker on the beach holidays. You know, I, I, I think I a lot of money to, to some customers on more than one occasion when I shouldn't have done because of, of poorly tested code or, you know, bad, uh, bad technical debt. But, you know, all these things and these frameworks that I've learned have all come from great CTOs I've worked with. I mean, Jonathan Smith on the beach taught me a hell of a lot. Craig Griffin, technical director on the beach, taught me about strategy and and that bottom-up leadership and, and Simon Wood at Hold the Extras. I've got to call out these people because the leaders are in place. They may not be perfect, but they've certainly helped to steer me towards how I implement high-performing teams. And it's so important to have that bottom-up culture because it truly does drive greatness if you get it right. And to add to that, you're building your bench. I mean, you're not a blocker. Your leaders are in place already. Yeah. Fantastic. If, if, if I was to get hit by a bus tomorrow, um, again, touching on to one of Will's, Will's choice of words earlier. I've used that a lot this week for some reason. I want somebody to step into my role. I want somebody to put me into retirement. No, I want to, you know, move on because somebody else is ready to walk into my shoes. And I'm not, if I'm not doing the right job as a leader, then I'm not doing the right role for the people who are learning from me who want that career progression. Realistically, I should be able to get hit by a bus and the world continues. And that's the joy of it. People should be learning from me in all avenues. And that's the key to engineering leadership and high performing teams. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant question and great answers on that one from everyone. Uh, last but certainly not least on this panel, I believe you've got a question, Will. Yeah, yeah, I have got a question. I just wanted to say what an amazingly eloquent answer from Paul. I thought that was that was excellent. And I, I would just like to touch on um, the kind of point of working ourselves out of a job. Like I feel as a manager, um, realistically, my job every day should be trying to make myself not have a job. And if I can do that really, really well, I mean, the downside is I might not have a job, whether that's realistic or not. But the upside is, you know, the team will feel so self-sufficient and the process will be so buttery smooth by that point. Um, it would be awesome. And then just thinking of ourselves as artisans and that kind of artisanship, taking pride in, in our work, I think it's a really nice, nice way to put it as well. Um, 
So my question is, uh, we've talked a lot about high-performing teams, you know, uh, some of the benefits of high-performing teams and how do we get there, but how do we know when we're there? What are some of the ways that help you recognize whether a team is performing to a high standard uh, and do you rely on any kind of metrics, team morale checks, key results or similar to do this? Should I start this one off, Joe? Sure, great question. Um, I'll take the early startup route on this one. Sure. So we don't track anything. Um, we don't track any common delivery metrics, um, anything at all. There's only two things that we generally look for uh, to make sure we're heading in the right direction. Uh, one is, does every single person in the company, including the CEO, honestly, truly feel that um, we're doing the most important things at every given time, that we're listening to our customers, and that we're continually learning and doing our best to move with a sense of urgency. And if that's true, um, we're winning. Uh, and that's a metric that, that I constantly ask various people throughout the company about. Uh, the second and most important, and it's been true actually my entire career, specifically in the military, which is does each person, um, in, in my case, everyone is an owner in sales room, the, the company I'm at, feel that the person sitting next to them is the person given everything they now know is the person that they would want to be there uh, for the future to ensure our success. And as long as that's true, we must be winning as a team. So I mean, I can extend it a bit. For me personally, I close my eyes and I think this is what a perfect high performing team is measured in uh, Chuck land or Chuck brain, which is um, do a bunch of human beings wake up every day out of choice and come to work and rather than wake up and think about tickets or their to-do list, they think about what can I do today with my peers to help me achieve a more meaningful outcome for our customers together. And some of the signals that are very evident when that is true is that the very next thing isn't the next thing in the backlog, it's the most important thing based on recent learnings and discoveries. And um, people move with urgency, but not enough to burn themselves out. And they naturally do it and help and coach and mentor each other along the way. Very key. Um, yeah, I, I just keep keep going. I'll stop there though. Brilliant, Very thanks Chuck. Over to you, Luca. Um, yeah, so I think um, you definitely need to, to do all, all of them. So, you know, rely on metrics and team morale checks, key results. You need to use all, all of them. Um, you need to cover to a necessary degree of what is going on in the team um, because I believe they, they are all connected somehow. Uh, there are things that can have more of an influence than other things, but it's paramount to keep an eye on, on everything, I suppose. Um, as I said before, I, I'm a great fan of metrics because I do believe these are essential to give you a good indication of how the team is working, uh, its behavior as they give you a good way to understand the effectiveness of the changes you want to make in your team or your product and your service. Um, but also, um, I guess also the, the organization size also plays a very, very important role. Uh, uh, wait here because obviously not all the organization are at the same uh, point of their life. Uh, for example, we are a medium kind of scale up. This is very different from, for example, a young startup compared to a very big chunky organization. So the answer can be a little bit different based on that, I, I suppose. Perfect. Would you like to add, Paul? Yeah, so it's a very, very interesting question. Um, and again, I'm going to struggle to articulate the words um, that are probably going to do this one justice. So again, great question, Will. How do I recognise whether a team is performing to a high standard? Well, I, I try and break it down into two. For me, a team isn't performing to a high standard if they aren't identifying rooms for improvement. So. To be a high performing team for me, you have to continuously find ways to improve and push the boundaries to stay above and beyond all the other teams in every other business. But at the same time, you know, you're still performing to a high level. So even if you and, and you should never run out of things to improve on, but you know, how do you how do you ensure that you are performing to a decent nature? Um key results, yeah, they're a great one, but for me it's it's about that localized leadership and what they're measuring. So 
you mentioned code quality will you know i want to know how many how many releases you're doing in the sprint how many releases are you doing and how many are you rolling back um you know is there a problem with quality is there a problem with um the process that's that's making sure that we're not shipping things that our customers are truly going to find valuable are we um are we spotting blockers you know are we measuring cycle time and lead time effectively are we are we spotting that something's maybe stuck in a in a ready for test column for four days and no one's picking up on it are we are we running a team health check or a, or a team sentiment session and you know not taking actions away from that so if the team's got a one out of five for fun you know christ they're never going to be uh invigorated to to work you know you don't want to how, how, how are these people waking up in the morning and wanting to come into work and, and and actually deliver towards the company's mission if they're not having fun um i'll be honest it's it's something that i've recently introduced into holiday extras i've been there since october and um they've been running it now the delivery managers for about two months and it's getting the praises sung because it's telling that story to the um to the to the entire company as to what they're learning and how they're improving and and things they're putting into play and, and, and make sure they've got accountability for for instilling that change so long story short i think that there's two things for me a team can never be top performing i think it's impossible to be perfect so a team to be high performing has to identify things to change and things to improve on and things to learn from and talk about those openly not be afraid to fail or or tell a story that that is is downbeat um but they also have to keep an eye on ensuring that that they've got all the metrics in place to be high performing and that they can keep themselves accountable to ensure that they are delivering good and holding the business accountable not only from an engineering perspective but to you know ensure the mission is correct the fun can be had the environment is correct um because high performing teams aren't just an engineering problem you need high performing teams throughout your entire business and your business can only enable that and if it doesn't you'll never be high performing michael your lights have gone off twice now and i keep loving the star jumps you keep doing <laughs> so i feel like one of you is going to punch my lights out in a minute <laughs> uh so th thanks for the answers there guys and with regard to yourself will how do you measure things over at formidable yeah um i i wouldn't say that I speak for kind of formidable as a whole and I think one of the nice things is we kind of give that autonomy to to different teams to be able to sort of perform you know in a way that works best for them I'd say kind of pulling pulling the other three answers together it really does depend in my experience like different teams different levels of maturity um will need different amounts of metrics checks all these other sort of sorts of things to to tell if they're performing well um, and I think it can be difficult to find that right balance of process um, you know if you don't have enough there's way too many unknowns who knows what's going on are we doing well um, and then too much of it can be arduous and I don't think it's good to just implement process for the sake of it I want to uh, pull back to a quote Chuck said previously which was uh, let process find its own way in and I think that's a excellent quote so simple on the face of it but so much depth to it really um, it's like wearing a new pair of jeans it might be best pair of jeans in the world but uh, if it doesn't fit it's it's completely useless so um, I think you know having having that balance of both enough process um, that you know what's going on but not too much that it's kind of becomes arduous um, and then also sort of balancing that between both quantitative and then qualitative feedback or just process you know I prefer the latter generally um, and as a consultant I think sort of client happiness is usually a pretty uh, straightforward gauge in my experience it's easy to know when a client's sort of really thrilled with the work we're doing um, and that's kind of the best metric you know I have uh, to know how well my team's doing is are we delivering what the client wants to see and are we creating that joy for, for them as well as us in our team as well I think one other point I'd add that I don't think anyone's mentioned yet is just one-to-ones, uh, like being able to talk with someone on a uh, in a small forum. There's only two people there. I think people can feel more comfortable sharing maybe what's been on their mind and, um, you know, linking it back to what Luca said, everything's interconnected. And I feel like one-to-ones are an awesome place to kind of help piece it together and, and figure out some of those connections. So, yeah, I think... Oh, moral of the story is that the morale 
pun intended, is is kind of the most important thing. Um, you know, if a, if a team is happy, they're typically performing well. And I know that's not the best metric ever, but I think it's I think it's easy to to know in a project in a product like if things are going well or if things aren't going well. Obviously, it's it's helpful to have you know that kind of explicit feedback sometimes and metrics as well. But um, it's it's uh, easy to know you know if things feel like they're going well. Fantastic, great answers, everyone. And um, we've actually got a question from uh, Sean Handley, the director of engineering at Courier's Convoy. Um, if 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 you've got time, um, so how do you help a team see whether they're high performing from an industri industrial point of view rather than simply within their current organisation? If uh, if you'd like to start with that one, Chuck. Uh, yeah, the only thing that a, a team needs to in my opinion, the only thing that a team needs to compare itself to is itself last week. Uh, don't worry about everyone else. Just focus on yourselves. Brilliant. And have you got an answer? Has anyone got anything to add on that question? But, cool. But I guess there are, yeah, that, I mean, that is a great answer. But I guess if you need a starting point, uh, and you're curious about what the other people in the industry are doing. Definitely there are good benchmarks out there. Um, I, I just would like to, to mention like the Dora Research Program for sure, or the uh, the Accelerate book. Um, uh, also GitHub as well, they publish a very good, uh, very good research. So you can at least have some some references, some targets that you can you know you can look up to and then try to you know as a guidance maybe uh, yeah that definitely can be useful. I love that, yeah. and I'll just quickly add to to Lucas' thing there. Uh, as somebody that has seen uh, teams do this, I think it happens a lot with Shopify and Spotify. They go, they're succeeding. Let's copy. I think it's they, it comes with a big caveat and word of warning as teams do that. Um, be true to yourselves, but don't be afraid to learn what other people do well and don't do it because they do it. I made that mistake once when I literally blanketly followed what Basecamp do. And because I love Basecamp, third favorite, um, but it completely failed because the team wasn't the same team. And that was, uh, it was a key lesson, but plus one to what Luke was saying. Perfect. Plus two, you know, this is this is the problem with comparing yourselves to other organizations. There is so many unknown variables in other organizations that simply do not apply to, to your organization. So you can only compare yourself to the teams internally and yourself, but more importantly, yourself. You should never make it a competition with the other teams. Um, but that's not to say improvement can't can't be had and you can't take learnings away from from other other teams and other organizations, which is why, you know, the, these roundtables are such a great a great forum you know i'd love to stay in touch with will luca you chuck obviously we've been in touch for many years chuck um and and have regular conversations about our teams and, and what we can learn from each other and, and take into our own organizations and that's that's one of the ways you do it you, you you network you learn but you figure out what is appropriate for you to influence in your own organization based on what you have learned so um yeah to answer sean's question don't compare yourself because what happens in other organizations is is none of your concern and, and is none of the concern of your teams. You can learn from them, but you should never compare and and um, and, and class yourself as being underperforming against a team in another organization that has many, many variables that you can't account for. Thanks, Paul. Would you like to sum up, Will? Uh, I don't know. If I could sum up, I'll try and add a couple of thoughts. Uh, I think, yeah, like everyone else is saying, really, um, you know, differences are, are beautiful, really. And if, if we should embrace the differences between teams and the differences between the products we're building, knowing that, you know, teams work in a different way and the way that we get to the same destination is oftenly, often in a, you know, completely different route or journey. Um, saying that, I do think there are some metrics that are helpful to have in kind of, you know, am I performing to, to the expected standard? And I guess I'll more specifically point towards sort of accessibility standards. Um, you know, on the web now, there are like a really well-defined set of metrics of like what should a website be doing in order for it to be accessible to the highest number of people. And I think that's a really important metric for, for your organization and team more specifically to have as it's comparing to maybe the more 
the wider industrial landscape like are we are we making our sites accessible to the the highest percentage of people possibly to enjoy them and are we really enhancing that user experience um, as much as possible not that user experience is quite as easily derived into like a quantitative metric but we've still got things like uh, you know, I, I can't remember the exact stat off the top of my head, but so many, so much of the world, such a high proportion of the world is still on really slow uh, mobiles, essentially, and, and slow internet speeds. So we need to design our software and websites in a way that means they can still download it, which means, you know, small bundle sizes, uh, short time to first bytes, uh, focus on paint, all that kind of thing. That's about it. Fantastic. Does anyone does anyone have anything to um, have any final points? Any any of the topics we've discussed or anything you'd like to add? Yeah, two things. One is I think we just formed a group, uh, and, and two is I learned a ton of things. Thank you so much. Um, Did we just goodness. become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> we became meta mates. Come on. I mean, this is going to be the most weird um, album cover of the first century, isn't it? <laughs> Luca's <is> lead singer. <laughs> So yeah, echoing what Paul said before, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you guys today. You know, really enjoyed speaking with everyone. Everyone's had great points and some really interesting questions covering interviewing high, high performance teams, measuring metrics, the difference between performance and purpose. It's obviously very important to, to Luca and some of the answers we got there. And obviously the methods and techniques that um, you all apply to your individual engineering teams. Um, uh, we've, had, we've had some great answers to that question for you, Paul, as well. Um, also, you know, great answers to Sean's question. Um, you know, obviously, a, a lot of the guys here just focus on their own teams and, and bettering themselves. But it's great to hear Luca's point on, you know, external um, sort of avenues like GitHub and um, what was the other um, sort of what was the other one you, you mentioned there, Luca? Dora and Accelerate. Yeah, 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 perfect. So yeah, it's, again, it's been an absolute privilege to be with you guys. Um, really enjoyed it. And you know, if, if you'd be happy to, to come on again, uh, I'd be absolutely delighted to have e each of you on. Um, Maybe mix the group up a bit because, <laughs> like you said, there we will, we will turn into a, a, a boy band. <laughs> but as I said, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, so overall, you know, it's been it's been a great experience with you guys. Uh, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank Chuck, Luca, Paul, and Will for providing their insights to the topic, and thank you for listening. If you'd like to get involved in, in one of our up and coming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at michael.sullivan at evolution-contract.co.uk. Cheers, guys. <laughs>